Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, September 2nd, 2012. Hey, I'm glad that Phyllis finally told the truth to someone about the entire Dr. Reed situation, but at the same time, I'm a little annoyed that it was Ronan. Why wasn't it her husband? Why wasn't it someone in her family? Ronan started putting the pressure on Phyllis. He showed up at her doorstep this week and dusted around for fingerprints and let her know that either she tells him the entire truth about what happened with Dr. Reed, if she was associated with his death in any way, or he's just going to go get a forensics team and snoop around and find the evidence all on his own. And really, she caved pretty easily. She told him everything. She didn't leave out any of the details. She just spilled her guts to him. And it was actually a little bit too easy, I felt, to convince her. And I I guess I just don't understand why she chose to confide in Ronan and why Ronan is protecting her. It doesn't entirely make sense to me. In fact, when Phyllis was telling him the story of Dr. Reed's blackmail, she mentioned about how not only did Dr. Reed want money, but he also wanted sex from her. Ronan had this moment of getting all protective of Phyllis. And he even said something like, oh, he's lucky he's dead. It's the, the problem for me is that it paints Phyllis as a victim. And Phyllis is not a victim of Dr. Reed. If anything, if Phyllis is a victim in, on any plane of existence, it's a victim of herself. This is a mess of her own making. She is her own worst enemy. And it, it just bothers me that now all of a sudden Ronan's got to step in to protect her. And I, even from his perspective, I don't know if... Ronan even knows Phyllis well enough to g give her the benefit of the doubt on this. She's lied, lied, lied everywhere. What makes him think that she's telling him the truth? She hasn't even told her husband the truth. So I, I don't understand where all of a sudden Ronan is getting this protective and complete trust in Phyllis feeling. It doesn't entirely make sense to me. They slept together a few times. I don't feel like Ronan and Phyllis ever really connected emotionally or mentally. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> the sex was awesome. I love the sex, but screwing a few times, even if it was the best sex in the world, wouldn't make me help cover up a murder for someone. Phyllis tells Ronan the entire story, and rather than just going through the channels of the law, which is everything we know of Ronan's character is consistent that he is by the book. He likes the law. He wants to follow the rules. Now, all of a sudden, he has to bend the law to protect Phyllis. He was ready to destroy evidence or, or to d divert the police from finding evidence, that rug that Kevin also uh, slyly disposed of. Yeah, right. And he, and just for Phyllis, Ronan is ready to risk his entire career? I, I don't know why it, nobody was even questioning him being on the case in the first place. Everybody knows he was sleeping with the main suspect, so... I, it totally throws his character into question. I'm surprised that no one else has thought of that and uh, in Genoa City has thought of that and decided to throw him off the, the case. It was only a few months ago in YNR time that he was sleeping with her. I, so I don't... Ronan, I don't understand you. I'm sorry to say I just don't understand you right now. I had such high hopes for Ronan's return onto the show, and now I'm feeling confused by him yet again. And I want more! I demand more from Ronan! He is such an untapped character. We, we don't know anything more about him than we did a year ago when he was on the show. We still don't know whatever happened with the whole liver thing, which I frankly think we deserve an answer about. There's so much more that Ronan could be doing besides running around behind Phyllis and sweeping up her messes. He has a mother that he hasn't connected with. What about Paul's 
space? What about chance? What's well, isn't there something else you could be using your time for? You you won't risk your career to try to help your mother's boyfriend or Paul, this really upstanding, someone who you know is upstanding. You won't risk your career to maybe help move some evidence around for him. But Phyllis, sure, why not? I slept with her a couple of times. Clearly, we have a good rapport. It doesn't feel consistent to me from either perspective. Fr- frankly, I don't understand why Phyllis would choose to confide in Ronan and not Michael. Phyllis and Michael have a long-standing history together. Ronan, even though she slept with him, Ronan still, to me, feels a little bit dangerous. Ronan still feels like someone who I would have incredible passionate sex with, but that I would be a little afraid of. And whereas Michael is someone who Phyllis has always been able to trust. Phyllis, Phyllis and Michael have always had a good relationship, including way back at the time when she was getting involved with Danny and Dr. Reed, the 20 years ago mess. They were friends back then. So why not now? Why not confide in Michael now? He's given her opportunities. And I, sure, Michael wouldn't probably risk his career to cover up her mess, but he certainly would be able to tilt the investigation a certain way. I'm sure he would appreciate a little bit of honesty. Instead, Michael is chasing his tail. He doesn't know what to think about this whole situation. And the the, the cherry on top of the cake here is that everyone's lying to him. Phyllis is lying to Michael. Ronan is lying to Michael. And it's not even so much that Ronan now has tampered with evidence. He's diverted the attention away from Phyllis. In fact, even coming up or proposing to Michael this theory that it was Beth who actually killed Dr. Reed. But now he's straight up lying to Michael. He is he is obviously overtly lying for Phyllis. The heat starts to come up. Michael goes to visit Phyllis and he starts to apply the pressure, same way Ronan did, and Phyllis sticks to her gun. She says, oh no, there's no way I could have had anything to do with Dr. Reed. There's just, I'm not going to give you any evidence and there's just, it's, forget it. I would never do that, of course. Well, <laughs> Ronan realizes that the walls are closing in and he comes up with his brilliant plan to tell Michael that Phyllis has an alibi for the evening of... <laughs> Dr. Reed's death and that he's been hiding it because they were together having an affair. He straight up lied. Straight up lied to Michael, to the police, for Phyllis. And I've, I, it doesn't feel consistent to me. I don't know what you guys think. What do you think about this new development in the Phyllis storyline? I, I, I'm just... I don't know if it's going to help Phyllis. I don't know if it's going to just ultimately get found out and hurt them both. I would hate to see Ronan pay for Phyllis's mistake. That would just break my heart. But yet at the same time, I know that Phyllis is not going to want to go through with this lie. I think Ronan did it as a knee-jerk reaction. And from the previews of Monday's show, it looks like Michael is going to try to force Phyllis to confess to Nick. I don't know why exactly. I don't know why Michael is trying to cause problems or if there's a bigger, I don't know what his perspective is there. But I think he's going to give her an ultimatum saying, either you tell Nick that you were with Ronan that night or I'm going to. Which Phyllis is not going to do. She is not going to go through with that lie. I will be shocked if Phyllis goes to Nick and confesses that she was with Ronan that night. That would be... Uh, totally out of her character as well. I don't know, even to save her own butt, if she would tell Nick that she cheated on him. Because I think the one thing Phyllis is holding on to more desperately, even than her freedom, is Nick. She doesn't want to lose Nick. And I I think she would do anything, anything to keep him. So I can't see her... uh, I can't see her blowing open this whole lie. But... I don't know. Michael is also threatening her pretty big time. Michael is making me sad right now. Everyone in his life is involved in this murder. uh, Or not murder, I'm sorry. This mystery, what he thinks is a murder. And no one's wanting to tell him. He's sniffing around the issues, getting close to the issues, but never quite getting to the root of the story. So, Beth... 
Dr. Reed's girlfriend, played by Brett Butler, who I really like Brett Butler, by the way. I just think she's playing it so sweet. I've always liked her. I just think she's funny and she's got a, a real sensitivity in there that just is breaking my little heart every time she talks about her friend who is dead now. So she IDs Kevin as the encyclopedia salesman and it ripped my heart out the way she was saying, you killed him, you killed my Timbo. <laughs> But at the same time, people don't seem to want to believe her story because she's said that so many other people, she's identified a, a, a whole slew of people and Kevin is just the latest. I'm so annoyed even that Ronan said to Michael, do you even believe her? How can you even believe her? When he knows the truth now. He, Ronan is trying to deflect, he's trying to deflect attention away from Phyllis by pointing the spotlight onto Beth, who has done nothing here. Gosh, um, at this point, I have more sympathy for Beth than I do for Phyllis. <laughs> what the heck is up with this? Uh, and Michael. I feel sorry for Michael as well. I think uh, Michael confronted Kevin about this encyclopedia salesman. It was kind of a funny scene, actually. He just walked up to Kevin and said, what do you know about encyclopedias? <laughs> and of course, Kevin lied. Of course, Kevin lied. I think he wants to tell the truth, but he, Phyllis, in fact, is in his ear telling him, we're fine, don't make it any worse, don't tell Michael, don't tell Chloe, don't tell anyone. So Kevin just comes up with this lame lie about his whereabouts on the evening of Dr. Reed's death, says that he had car trouble. Initially, he was out all night not being able to get his car fixed, and then all of a sudden, he changes his story and says that someone just, a good Samaritan came by and fixed his car real quick and he was up and on his way again uh, as soon as Michael started asking him where he got his car fixed. Do you have a receipt? Do you have a bill? Can you prove where you were? Oh no, it was a good Samaritan. Just fixed it real quick. The lamest lie in the world. And Michael straight up said to him, you're not going to like how it feels having me on the opposite side. At this point, you've lied to me, and I'm sorry, but if you've done something wrong, I'm going to have to come after you, too. I gave you an opportunity to be honest, which Michael has done with everyone in his life. He's given them opportunities to be honest, and they've just lied to him straight out, and and Kevin is no exception to that. What I think is going to be Kevin's bigger problem is the fact that he's lied to Chloe. Chloe is no idiot here. She knows that her man is lying. There's something up with him. He should be focusing on tag and grab and all he's thinking about is uh, he's clearly distracted. He's thinking about so many other things. And Kevin had this, again, moment where he had the opportunity to tell Chloe the truth and Phyllis calls on the phone and convinces him not to. And Kevin, again, just comes up with another lame lie just to tell Chloe, look, I had nothing to do with this. Everything's fine. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why everybody's blaming me. And I can't imagine that Chloe is buying it. Her 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 senses, her her spidey senses are tingling. She knows something is wrong in her world, and I think she's gonna go try to figure out what it is. And when she finds out that Kevin is lying to her, she's not gonna stand for it. This relationship is not gonna last long. I I just cannot help but wonder if Kevin's lie about his involvement with Phyllis and covering this whole thing up and refusing to confide in her when they're supposed to be partners is going to be her last straw, which I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) My instinct and my hope is that that's going to lead this storyline into a place where I really, really can't wait to see it, which is I'm hoping that Chloe just leaves Kevin and runs right back into Ronan's awaiting arms. Heather and Daniel. I really, really do. I like that they're opposite, yet complementary. He likes rock. She likes jazz. They're different in every way, but somehow it just works. I think they're cute together. I think she is cute. I like new Heather a lot. I can't believe it. Finally, thank you, YNR. You did this right. I like the new Heather. In fact, I think I think I like this Heather more than I like Daniel, (laughs) to be honest with you. (laughs) I'm feeling her in every scene, and Daniel's all right, but I just wish he'd do something different with his hair. (laughs) He's got his own fun.
funky style and it's different from all the other guys in Genoa City and I like that. I just, it, he needs a different hairdo. It's in a big bunchy ponytail back there and it just looks, it's curled under weird in the back. I don't, I don't know. It needs to be something different. But it also lends to them being totally opposite and kind of working together. I, I like it a lot. Uh, they keep finding excuses to get together even though they're not supposed to be together. Phyllis is going to have a cow if she realizes that their relationship is still on. And I wonder if the heat continues to beat down on Phyllis. I wonder if she would be willing to blow this whole thing up with Daniel and uh, Heather to save herself, to save her own hide. I mean, the DA having a relationship with uh, the suspect's son is a little shady. <laughs> I like it, but it's a little bit, it's naughty, and that's why I like it, but it's its not proper. Heather shouldn't be doing that. It's, it's not really the right thing to do, and I think that that might be the type of situation that would get Heather kicked off the case, possibly kicked out of the DA's office, and that could help Phyllis proves some kind of impropriety within the investigation. I mean, for all anybody knows, Heather could be trying to go over to Daniel's house to get evidence. She could be trying to get into his life to get evidence, or vice versa. He could be up in her uh, apartment trying to get evidence from her and playing her. So I think that it would be interesting. It would, it would really tick me off. But I think interesting if maybe Phyllis decided to go take pictures of them together and that would help her case. It would really, really tick me off because it would ruin Heather and Daniel's relationship and I wonder why Phyllis has to ruin everything. Phyllis has to ruin everything. Everything she touches turns to crap and <laughs> I would hate to have that happen to, to Daniel and Heather but at the same time it's kind of interesting. I, I don't know. I just, I think that Heather needs to be more careful. She really does, especially after that whole situation with getting caught with Adam and Ricky taking those photos. This situation has happened to her before. So she really needs to be extra super special careful. And she's not right now. She's really letting her heart lead the way, which is, again, kind of another characteristic of Heather. That is sort of what she does. But I like that she is still reeling over Ricky's death. She's got this box of of Ricky's things in her apartment and she still thinks about it. She still d doesn't want to get rid of it because it's the last thing she has of her brother who she didn't really even care that much about but still feels connected to because they were blood. And it, there was a nice little moment where Daniel was trying to comfort her and tell her that, you know, it's going to be okay and I, I'll do anything I can to help you. Not knowing the entire time, of course, that there's mad evidence inside that box. It's evidence that could certainly get Paul out of a really big jam. Ricky died at the end of June, you guys. That was two months ago. Two months ago, YNR. You've been dragging this storyline out. We're just now getting to the point where we're getting some evidence to try to get Paul out of this. It's too long. It's been too long. They should have been focusing on this the whole time. <sighs> Finally, Paul and Avery have a meeting <laughs> with this guy <clears throat> who helped give who helped tip Ricky off uh, that the guy who died, the other friend who died that was going to give Paul evidence, um, they're going to talk to him to try to get information out of him. And I, I'm thinking, why didn't Chris do that? Why haven't they been trying to meet with this guy over the last two months? Instead, they're just meeting with him now in the dingy bar. They're trying to get evidence to establish Ricky's character, to try to corroborate the fact that he had something to do with that other guy's death thing. I can't remember his name, but just they want to prove that Ricky has a history of being a 
horrible murderous fiend and hopefully that will help uh, get Paul out of this this situation that he's in. Oh yeah, facing murder charges. But the guy doesn't want to budge. He doesn't want to talk. And uh, he, in fact, <laughs> the guy starts hitting on Avery a little bit. Paul flies off the handle. Uh, Paul just was raving. All of a sudden he jumps up out of his seat, puts the guy in a headlock. <laughs> Damn, it was intense. I like Paul. Um, so I need more Paul. I like the storyline. I just cannot believe it's been dropped for as long as it has. Ugh, but leave it to Paul to get the information that he needed to get. Uh, the guy starts spilling his guts, saying that Ricky did indeed kill Rachel. He killed his ex-girlfriend, and the guy knew all about it, and that's why he was scared of Ricky, didn't want to come forward, blah, 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 blah. And the most important part... <laughs> tips them off that Ricky recorded the death of Rachel. So I don't know if they've exactly put together two and two yet, but the seed is planted that the videotape is out there and that's going to be the piece of evidence I'm sure that's going to help Paul. That in in uh, in combination with the knife. They really need to find the knife. Where is the knife? I heard, read a couple of weeks ago that uh, Ivan Zima is back taping scenes as Daisy. Um, so I can also assume, I'm going to assume that the knife is going to come back into play as well. They will probably have her come forward and confess that she stole the knife from the scene of the crime. I, and okay, and also I think that will, okay, the knife is, <laughs> the knife is going to absolve Paul of the crime and the video of Ricky killing his girlfriend is going to absolve Paul's guilt. That's how I think it's all going to be wrapped up with a nice little bow. But my bigger issue is I think, and I, I, I'm holding on to this because I really want this to be the twist. I think Ricky faked his own death and used Daisy to get in there and take the murder weapon. And, and why else would she? What? reason would Daisy have for removing the murder weapon from the scene? Because we all know somebody did it, and it was either Ricky or Daisy. There's just no other way around it. So what other motivation would she have except for trying to help Ricky enact this whole plan? Ricky is getting the revenge he wanted. Paul is suffering. That's what Ricky's wanted all along. I want to believe that Ricky is alive, and there's just been so much talk about him lately. Just Heather talking about him, Paul talking about him. There's just a part deep down inside me that is just screaming I want Ricky to come back I cannot believe that I'm the only one who likes Harmony and Neil every time I talk about them it seems that everyone comments they're not into it they're not feeling it and I'm falling for it hook line and sinker <laughs> I loved the scenes this week of them playing basketball and talking about how they were in high school and just getting to know each other that's the element that I think has been missing there's been that sexual attraction between them and the naughty factor but they really haven't gotten to know who the other one is and so I thought it was nice to see that this week but on the other hand there also was a scene where Neil and Harmony go for lunch at Glowworm and Tucker and Sophia are there as well and Neil and Sophia have this moment where Sophia makes a really good point about Harmony and I think she successfully planted a little bit of a seed of doubt in Neil's mind when she said Neil I know that, you know, if, if you and Harmony work out, that's really great and I'll be happy for you. But don't close your eyes to her past. And I thought that was a really good point. Harmony is a former addict. And really, once you're an addict, addict you're always an addict. She does have a tendency to relapse. And even if she doesn't relapse with drugs, she relapses by with sex or by acting out. So I think that was a fair remark by Sophia. What, what are we even going to do with Sophia? I wonder. She didn't take the job in New York. She's working back for Tucker. She 
is saying on the surface that she's fine with Neil and Harmony's relationship, but you know she's gritting her teeth in the background. So I'm just wondering still, what are we going to do with Sophia? <laughs> um, and how is how is Crystal Khalil leaving the show going to affect that? Like, What's happening to the Winters family? Question mark. Now, while Neil and Sophia are having that conversation, Tucker corners Harmony. Ugh, Tucker is... Ugh. He's making me sick. I have gone from really liking him to just being sick with him right now. He corners Harmony when she comes back from the bathroom and tells her that he wants to hire her. He wants to give her a job. And, of course, he tells her she's going to be making twice as much money as she is at Restless Style. And I think Harmony actually really enjoys her job at Restless Style. But there's probably a part of her, too, that is tired of struggling, worrying about money. And there's probably also a part of her that wants to be a part of Neil's world. Neil has always been Mr. Stiff Shirt, always been Mr. Corporate Man. And I think there's probably a part of her that wants to be able to blend in in his world a little bit more. Maybe go, be able to go to functions with him. So I think that that might be appealing to her working at a corporation with Tucker and getting to know those ropes and getting to know those people and making a little bit more money. The problem is Tucker only wants to hire Harmony so that he can keep her under his thumb. That's what he does. He likes to keep people under his thumb. He is doing it to Genevieve and now he's doing it to Sharon too. Um, has it not even occurred to Sharon, what is in this for Tucker? He's doing everything he can do to help her become the head honcho at Newman Enterprises. Every step along the way, he's pushing her and encouraging her and just being her number one cheerleader. Does she think that he's doing all of this out of the kindness of his heart? I don't think so. I can't believe that she's not even... Uh, thinking through what Tucker's motives might actually be. I, he's doing everything for her. He arranged this interview for her, and the interviewer was supposed to write this really wonderful piece about her. Just It was a total fluff piece, making her look so good. The, the interviewer guy, in fact, owed Tucker a favor, so the interview was going to be so amazingly glowing uh, of a review for Sharon. When it comes out, the review is a pan. It's awful. They called her the corporate grim reaper. Give me a break. Tucker's interviewer did owe him a favor, and he did exactly what Tucker wanted him to do. Wrote a hit piece on Sharon. I can't believe she's not putting two and two together on this. It's, she's not a stupid person. I don't think Sharon is stupid. I think she's very smart, very capable. So I don't know what, what the heck she could be thinking. Uh, I mean, she's, uh, she's focusing so much time on doing all these interviews talking about what she wants to do for the company, laying out her plans for the company, but she's not actually doing a thing. She's not doing anything. She's never at the company. All she is doing is talking about what she's going to do. It's it's, it's ridiculous. And it, again, it just makes me completely agree that she's she's lost her marble. She's out of her mind. She's, she's totally just operating on fumes at this point. The best thing I thought this week was the fact that Catherine finally stepped in. I, like, I'm so happy for that. I, as soon as Catherine showed up at the ranch, by the way, didn't even knock on the door, just waltzed right on in. I thought, Ugh, leave it to Catherine to get to the bottom of Sharon's bullish. It needed to happen. And I was so glad to see Catherine just say to her, hey, you're playing the part of uh, of Victor's widow here. You're not trying to look at for him. You're not trying to do anything. You need to just annul this marriage and be done with it. But who Catherine really needed to be talking to was her son. She needs to talk to Tucker, and she did. She told him, She Catherine knows, she just knows. She knows that he's up to something. She's probably the one person who is always a step ahead of Tucker, which I really like. And she said to him, you need to stay out of this. I'm aware of your relationship, and you need to just back off. And I really liked that 
Although I had to mention to you guys, especially during that scene with Sharon this week, I'm wondering if any of you guys had trouble understanding Catherine a little bit. I don't, maybe it's just me, but I thought maybe she was a little slurry or something. I was really kind of had to struggle to understand her lines. I feel really bad for seeing that. And it made me feel bad, but she seemed slurish. I don't know. You have to let me know if anybody else noticed that. <laughs> Makes me sad because I love Catherine. I want more Catherine. Maybe she was just having an off day. I'm going to, I'm going to hope for that <laughs> because everybody has to get in a couple of, of jabs at Sharon. Everybody wants to either talk to her or jab at her or just try to at least talk some sense into her, get her to compromise. And Nick tried once again to do that this week, which ended up resulting in Sharon firing him, <laughs> which I think we all saw coming a mile and a half away. I'm surprised she didn't fire Victoria too. But the, the main, <laughs> main point here is, first of all, yeah, Sharon, firing Nick, that's going to really help the stock. That's going to really help your image. But more importantly, Nick actually had this moment where he said to Sharon, did you do something to get rid of my dad? Where he actually really truly started doubting her. He doesn't even see any glimpses of the woman he once loved. Now all he sees is this evil villain. And he asks her, did you do something to get rid of my father. And Sharon, best line of the week. I mean, I laughed out loud uh, uproariously at her saying, yes, Nick, I pushed Victor off of his horse, stabbed him, and then and 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 then got him out of the way. And that was just before I ran off into the shadows and said, <laughs> no, it's all mine. <laughs> that was so good. I can't even recreate it. It was just too good. There was just, I wasn't expecting it at all. It showed her that she had a a sense of humor, at least, about what's going on. And it's so different from everything we've ever seen from Sharon. She's really not that funny. Sharon, for the most part, has been a kind of a bland, per, person, almost personality-less sort of character. She's never really shown a hint of a sense of humor. And now she's just uh, twisting her mustache there, you know, like, it's all mine now. I like it. I like that she was funny this week. And in a larger sense, I like this. I do actually like this where it's headed. It's or actually no, revise. I don't like where it's headed. I like where it is now. <laughs> I think it's funny. I like evil Sharon. I love that she gave away Abby's horses and Abby's just standing there like harumph. Just you you just wait until daddy gets back and this is all going to change. It's funny. I like the uh, the rivalry between Abby and Sharon. I love Sharon blowing past Abby at the gate being like mm -hmm. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Is there something? I knew you wouldn't mind if I gave those horses away. It was to a good cause. It's it's funny, and I can't wait, by the way, to see Nikki get back in there and really, really give it to Sharon. I think there's going to be more really cool, funny rivalry scenes coming, and those are really worth it. Those are making the week for me. Sharon's making the show for me right now. One thing I really wasn't expecting, though, is the fact that they're really bringing back and folding in the fact that Sharon is steel Steal. <laughs> still stealing. <laughs> She's still stealing. And she steals weird little random things, too. It's usually jewelry. She stole Chelsea's lipstick at one point. She stole, this week, Kyle's driver's license. And she opened up Summer's purse and took out some concert tickets. That Summer was looking forward to going to a concert with Fenn and Sharon looked in Summer's purse, took the tickets, and she put them all into this little box. Sharon's little trophy box of stolen things. It's weird. It is really, truly <laughs> disturbing. It's like she puts them into the box just ever so delicately. She has them all arranged very perfectly. It's, it's, I, I mean, I don't really even know what to think about it. It makes me uncomfortable. I think the only thing I can think, really, is that I, I imagine that Sharon feels good taking things that don't belong to her. That's what she's doing right now. Newman Enterprises doesn't belong to her. She enjoys taking things from people and getting away with it. 
it's almost as if the everything that's going on at Newman Enterprises is just a larger scale version of the little stealing she's been doing all along. It's always been little things that nobody's going to miss. That's weird, stealing a driver's license. I mean, that's just going to be an inconvenience for Kyle. But it, it's almost a, a little microcosm for the larger plan that she's doing now. And I think that she likes it. I think she gets a rush from that. And I think <laughs> eventually... Someone is going to stumble upon her weird little box of stolen goods, which is not going to be difficult to do considering everyone comes and goes through that main house just as they please. I mean, Catherine walks in on it, walks in without asking. Summer's in there without ringing the doorbell. Who knows where she even came from? People come and go, Nick, Victoria, from that house all the time. Someone is going to find that little box and connected, especially now that Sharon fired Nick. He's ticked off and he's ready to move forward with Avery's plan to file papers to have Sharon committed or proven insane. It's not going to be hard to prove the I word that she's insane. It's actually going to be pretty easy, (laughs) I think. And Nick wants the company back. Nick's willing to do anything and so is Victoria. In fact, Victoria and Nick called this emergency board meeting this week and told everyone that their plan was to try to ambush Sharon and just ask her politely to step down. They thought of everything, kind of knowing that Tucker is in on it, which is not hard to see as much as Tucker's been hanging around the ranch. And in fact, Nick made a really awesome point this week about how, why was Tucker there on the night of Victor's disappearance? He came to the ranch suggesting that he and Victor had some kind of secret meeting. It wasn't on the books. Victor wouldn't have made a meeting on his wedding night, I'm pretty sure. Why was Tucker there? So it makes you think, not only is Tucker involved, but how long has he been involved? What's going on? Could Tucker have had Victor whacked over the head or something? I'm not sure. But either way, Nick and Victoria are on to him They had this board meeting and even arranged a car to have everybody driven over to Newman Enterprises, which I always assumed that board meeting, that board uh, room was in Newman Enterprises, right? Where Where is that board room then if it's not in the Newman Towers? I don't get it. But somebody please tell me because I really want to know that. I always assumed that was like down the hall from Victor's office. But apparently not. Anyway, they arrange a car to take them over to Sharon to ambush her. And so that nobody will have an opportunity to call. As a matter of fact, so Tucker won't have an opportunity to call Sharon and give her a heads up about this. They go. They ask her politely to step down. Sharon says, uh, no. (laughs) And Tucker steps out in front and says, what are we even doing? Let's just not rock the boat. Let's keep the waters calm. And slowly, little by little, everybody starts to agree with him. Tucker just put a huge target on his back. Everybody knows he's th- th- what he's doing. Nick, Victoria, uh, Catherine knows, Adam knows. Everybody knows that he's behind this. And now stepping out and publicly supporting Sharon, he's putting an even bigger target on his back. He's got too much to lose here. I don't know why he's even, uh, I, I don't know why he's being so obvious about it. I-, I think everybody knows what Tucker is up to except for Sharon. She thinks that it's all fun and games. And after they had their little victory at the office, Tucker stops by the ranch again, and he and Sharon start to make out. Actually, let me revise that also. Uh, no, Sharon threw herself at him. What? What? Well, what is this to you, Sharon? I don't understand. Her mind is so twisted. It makes no sense to me at this point. And Tucker, I think, had to literally peel her off of him, which says something. It says something big. Tucker never refuses sex. He is a sex hound, and he turned her down in the nicest way possible and still maintained his position, but he turned her down, which says to me, Tucker is not in to Sharon at all. He wants Victor's company, not his wife. Genevieve is on the hunt for Victor. Not only does she want to find Victor, she really likes having the cash flow that Tucker is providing her to go on this little hunt. But Tucker called her back 
from the hunt this week. She was really close to finding Victor. Tucker called her back to Genoa City and started just messing with her. He, ugh, he, Tucker is such a user. He, he doesn't need to worry about money. Tucker has plenty of money, yet he calls Genevieve back and starts throwing it in her face every chance he gets that she's using his money, like itemizing her bills, saying, oh, you really enjoyed that massage you got while you were on the road, didn't you? And I bet you're enjoying the fine dining. And just, who, what does he even care? She could spend a million dollars of his money and he would probably still have some. Again, like I said before, he just likes having people under his thumb and giving Genevieve money, giving her the one thing she doesn't have ensures that she stays under his thumb. He just, Tucker makes me sick. He makes me want to throw up and I cannot wait <laughs> to see Victor get back and kick Tucker's butt. That's what I really would like to see is I want to see Victor kick Tucker's butt. And and why not? Because Victor's kicking everyone else's butt. He's getting in fights everywhere. Every time he turns around, there's somebody who needs to get a, a butt kick. And I, it's like, what did I do on my summer vacation? I got in a lot of fights. That's every scene is Victor getting in fights. Ridiculous. Only this week, it was somebody... Sister Celeste was trying to help. The guy didn't want the help, and he turned around and grabbed her, and Victor wasn't going to have that. Oh, no. Sister Celeste is the one person in his life that's helping him right now, and he wasn't about to let her get hurt, so Victor picks this fight with this one guy, becomes kind of a hero. I, I don't know. Do you think it would be kind of... I think it would be kind of funny if Victor fell in love with Sister Celeste if all of a sudden he was in love with a nun. <laughs> to me, that'd be interesting. But the most important part here, Genevieve finally, finally tracks Victor down. She sees him and she starts asking him questions. She starts assuming that he knows who he is and he's completely cognizant, but he really doesn't. Victor is either acting or he is completely out of it because he has this moment where he, she's asking him all these questions and he he doesn't get it. In fact, he even said to some to Sister Celeste, I don't know anyone anymore. Sister Celeste had asked him if he knew Genevieve. They all kind of were there at the bar. And Victor said, I don't know anyone anymore. And it, it, it's... I am confused. I don't know. He's calling himself Christian. He introduced himself to Genevieve as Christian. And at the very end of Friday's show, he starts to wonder why Genevieve is asking so many questions. And just before she kind of leaves and gives up, he says to her, wait a minute, do you know me? And it's it was it was very, very confusing. So I think he has to have bonked his head. He really has to have. I don't know. Why it has all of a sudden just erased his memory of being Victor Newman, but it has. I mean, everybody knows who he is except for him. And uh, as a matter of fact, hot on Genevieve's trail is Billy. Billy is also trying to figure out what Tucker is up to because uh, Victoria has asked him to. So uh, Billy ropes Kevin into hacking Tucker's phone and getting his text messages and Billy was able to find out that Genevieve is sending a lot of text messages to Tucker from the port of LA so Billy follows Genevieve out there to LA and he gets an eyeful all of a sudden he walks in the bar and the first thing he sees is Victor and Genevieve there which is gonna be good that, that Billy now has this information I don't know if they're going to be able to talk Victor into coming back into Genoa City or if he's going to insist on staying there. I have no, I don't even know if, if Victor is going to recognize Billy. Get ready for the big Nikki and Victor reunion, my friends, because it's coming. Victor doesn't remember conveniently anything about his life, doesn't know that he married Sharon, but I bet you he knows Nikki. I can bet you a million dollars that as soon as he sees her face, he's going to know exactly who she is and they're going to fall back in love, especially now that Nick and uh, Nikki and Jack are officially severed. Jack packed Nikki's things and pretty much threw her out of 
the house. He even invited Kyle to come live with him, knowing that Kyle and Nikki don't get along, and that would be another incentive for not having her at the place. And which, just by the way, please, Kyle, don't front, all right? Kyle went to Jack's house telling him he didn't have a place to live because Sharon's a big, horrible monster at the ranch, and he's not really ready to stay with Eden, and maybe he can live with a buddy. Give me a break, Kyle. You went to the Abbott Mansion with the intention (laughs) of wanting to stay there with your dad. You've gotten used to mansion life. You're not going to go sleep on a buddy's couch now. And I loved how he just played it like, oh, well, Jack offers to have Kyle stay there. And Kyle's like, oh, well, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Please. Would you rather sleep on a couch or watch games on a big screen? I see right through you, Kyle Abbott. Mmm. Nikki is back in town this week, and she pretty much went to go see everybody except Jack. She made a visit to Victoria, made a visit to Catherine. The last visit she made was back to Jack. You could tell she was regretting. You could tell she was dreading. She doesn't want to deal with the fact that she just blew her life up and found nothing. She's been looking for Victor, has found nothing. She's come up completely empty, and I think she was hoping that she was going to have that falling in love moment with Victor. Victor going to rescue him once again and she didn't have that now she has to go back and face what she did to Jack and she did do him wrong I mean I think she genuinely wanted to reconcile with him but surely she cannot be surprised that he decided no he decided against it he told her to turn around and just go go away I mean I think as much as I love Nikki I think that Nikki wants to have her cake and eat it too Absolutely. She wants to stay married to Jack, but she wants to keep Victor on the side just in case Victor decides that he wants her back. I mean, you, if Victor wanted Nikki back, don't you think that she would leave Jack in an instant to go back to Victor? That's exactly what she would do. And Jack knows that. Jack knows that too. He can't be surprised by this whole thing. And there was this big dramatic moment this week where all week Jack has been hearing that he this he's probably hit his plateau he's not going to be able to walk anymore he he's probably this is as best as he can do and even Sarge is telling him he might not make any more progress but no Jack is moving on he's 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 determined to walk again and he's falling all over the place hurting his hand can't make it happen and then as soon as Nikki comes back <laughs> tries to reconcile with him, he musters up the energy and tells and stands up out of his chair, turns around, walks away, and says to her over his shoulder, she under she says, You can walk. And he goes, Yes, I can walk. And I'm walking away from you. Dun 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 big flourish of music. Nikki is, of course, like, standing there like, oh, my gosh, and Jack's just determined, walking away, walking away. I I just imagine (laughs) that Jack was able to take, like, what, five, six steps, like, maybe until he got out of Nikki's view, and then he probably just collapsed on the floor waiting for her to leave, and just imagine he's just, he left his wheelchair behind, so he's just, like, collapsed in the kitchen somewhere, like, crap, Mrs. Martinez! Every week we get more and more clues dropped about the whole Samantha thing, and we're never any closer to knowing what the answer is. This week, Lily's sitting in the coffee house, and she's just going about her business when all of a sudden she gets practically plowed over by a woman who appears to be wearing a wig to me. Um, who runs into her, drops her keychain on the floor. She has a koala keychain, which turns Lily's light bulb on. She looks over at her, wonders if this is the stalker, and uh, then goes down and sees that the woman has left a business card on the ground that's, again, the cryptic names that Samantha and uh, Kane have used when they were a child. First of all... Do Australians really carry koala keychains? <laughs> yeah, this is the most 
most important issue because I know there are a lot of Australian fans of the show. Even if you're watching this six months behind, you'll have to leave me a comment, my Aussie friends, and let me know if you're actually carrying koala keychains around or is that just what Americans think you do? Because I got a feeling that Australians aren't as into koalas as Americans are into Australians being into koalas. Whatever. Uh, The whole thing is, um, it needs to happen. Something needs to happen. Lily finally has her last straw this week, and she goes to Ronan, and she asks him to help. I mean, it's got to have some kind of connection to Colin, or it has a connection to Kane's past, so it's it's got to be something. So she's hoping that Ronan can help, 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 and I really hope so, too. I don't think it's Genevieve doing it. The more... I think about it, the more I don't even know if it's Samantha. It seemed like the person was wearing a wig to me. I don't know why she'd be messing with them. To me, it straight up seems like somebody is just messing with them. And to me, uh, the, uh, the main villain that's in my mind right now is Tucker. I just wonder if it's Tucker messing with all of these people so that he can get them onto his little chessboard in the places where he wants them. Okay, my friends, we have come to the end of the YNR Chat podcast for the week. I hope that you guys have enjoyed it. It's been a pretty good week. Um, I think Sharon is my number one star right now. She is making the show for me, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say about her and the Phyllis and Ronan situation. Those seem to be my two favorite storylines right now. Even though I'm annoyed by Ronan, I'm still with I'm still with bated breath trying to figure out what he's going to do next. So, why don't you guys Leave me a comment. Let me know what your perspective is. Um there's a couple ways you can do that. The first is ye old voicemail. You can call in and leave me a voice comment. The telephone number is area code 309-588-4569, if you please. And that is within the U.S. for my Aussie koala keychain carrying friends. If you want to give me a call, <laughs> it gets its country code 1-309-588-4569. Or you could go to my blog and you could scroll to the post for this week and you could leave a comment there. You can also see the video portion of the podcast. The website is yrchatblog.blogspot.com or you can always send me a good old snail email. Snail mail. Snail email. <laughs> I like that. Snail email. Um, the, the, the address for that is yrchat at live.com. Pretty simple. Three ways. You can pick which one you like the best, and please feel free to, to, to contact me. I really always do enjoy hearing from you guys. Okay, well, I think that's everything. That's all I got. I am going to be watching again on Tuesday. Don't forget that um, within the U.S., Monday is Labor Day, and I think there's going to be a tennis show on or something, so there's going to be no YNR on Monday for us here in the U.S., but I don't. I think maybe Canada still gets it. I'm not sure. I think I think so. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I think right at this moment, though, I might actually be caught up with Canadian viewers since they, I think they did, don't, won't have a show on Monday either. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. Wh- whatever. If you're in the U.S., there's no YNR on Monday. Let me make that a little more short and sweet. <laughs> but I'll be watching Tuesday through Friday, and I'll be back next Sunday to chat with you again about the show. So, everybody, have an awesome holiday. Have an awesome week. I love you so much, and we'll chat next time. Okay. Bye.